0: The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are just, the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers but the root of the righteous bears fruit. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. This is the word of the Lord.
1: My name is David Sanderson. I'm obviously not the normal speaker here, uh, and I'm not sure if you're aware. Sam leads uh, a group called Sermon Lab. Uh, once a month, we get together and practice preaching the word. Sam is training young men to um, to get up here and preach on Sundays, and so I'm one of those students. I've been practicing. I've been here before. Uh, if you've if you've seen me, I've preached twice here before. Uh, last time we talked about Revelation. This time we're going to be continuing in our wisdom series. Uh, over the last three weeks, we've looked at what is wisdom, how do we get it, and how do we walk in it or keep it. Uh, but uh, today we're kicking off five more weeks of a, a different section of this series where we're going to look at five virtues and compare them to five characters in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs uses this t- uh, teaching technique called characterization, where the author takes uh, wisdom or evil or a virtue. Um, and kind of teaches you about it through this idealized portrait or caricature of that trait. So he teaches you about the wise man by telling you what he does. He teaches you about the wicked man or the fool by telling you about what he does. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at those characters. We're going to look at the fool, the simpleton, the sluggard, and the scoffer, Uh, and the wicked man, actually. And the goal of these sermons is to kind of look at these caricatures and kind of hold them up as mirrors to our own character to see, you know, what is the fool like? What is the wise man like? Hold that up as a a standard and compare it to ourselves, compare it to the people around us, compare it to our culture. This is the, the goal of the writer of Proverbs as well. Proverbs is written by a father who's training his son, who is kind of a blank slate. They call him the simpleton. He's not a fool. He's not wise. And so the father's trying to show him these comparisons between different paths that he can walk. And so I hope this morning that, uh, that we're able to do the same thing. So specifically this morning, we're going to see that the wise man is temperate. We're going to see the wise man as an, a master of his appetites. But before we jump into that, uh, let's pray that God would be with us this morning through this passage. So, will you pray with me? Father, uh, my prayer this morning is, is fairly simple. Uh, God, that you would just give us clarity to understand ourselves. God, that you would help us to peer into our, our motives and our character um, and help us to understand how we're wired. Uh, Father, show us where we're being foolish, and uh, by your Spirit, please change us. And Father, be with me this morning as I handle your word. I uh, pray that I would be faithful to it. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to look specifically at the virtue of temperance, and we're going to compare that to the character of the fool in Proverbs. So temperance is not a word that's common in most people's vocabulary. I think most people, when they think about it, they think of uh, the political movement in the 20s and 30s to legalize alcohol, the temperance movement. Uh, and I don't think that does us any favors this morning. That's, that's pretty far from what we're going to be talking about. Um, I think that because of that, we think of the word temperance and we think kind of old world legalism. We, we don't think about uh, beauty or discipline or freedom or wisdom. We just think about, you know, dusty old school Christianity, you know, wrong side of history, left in the past thinking. But I, like I said, I think that that's doing us a disservice because temperance... Uh, is a a storied virtue. It's one of the classic virtues respected by theologians and philosophers alike. It's one of the cardinal virtues of Catholicism. Uh, It's one of the key virtues that Plato and Aristotle discuss in a lot of their writing, alongside of courage, justice, and prudence. So this is a virtue that a lot of people talk about. There's a lot of material out there. And so we should think of virtues as wisdom in practice. So temperance isn't necessarily... A way of thinking, it's more of a way of acting. So the the equation that we've used for wisdom throughout the sermon series so far, uh, deep character plus straight thinking plus skilled execution equals wisdom or the art of godly living. In that equation, I think that the virtues primarily weigh on the skilled execution portion. So obviously they touch on character. You need to have deep character to have virtues. You could be uh, a a disciplined person, uh, but be an alcoholic and just be disciplined in your drinking, right? The character has to be there in order to act wisely. But primarily, these virtues focus on execution. So I've I've been talking kind of all around uh, the definition. So what is temperance? Temperance is moderation in passions or voluntary self-restraint. This would include restraint from uh, retaliation in the form of forgiveness. This would be restraint from uh, excess or splurging in the form of humility. This would be restraint from arrogance in the form of uh, being humble. Uh, It it touches a lot of categories. The the Greek philosophers, when they talked about it, they spoke more narrowly. They they compared um, two extremes, uh, extreme responses to pleasure. So on one hand, you have the person that always pursues pleasure and is overindulgent, and on the other side, you have the person who they say hates themselves, who is constantly avoiding pleasure and, and doesn't seek it out. And they said temperance is the response to pleasure that's in the middle. So temperance, moderation, voluntary self-restraint. Uh, when I was in middle school, my band director... Uh, had a phrase that she would use constantly with the drummers who would be flipping and spinning sticks and dropping them on the floor, doing fancy stick tricks while we would play. Uh, she said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I hated that phrase. and It was said to me a lot. But that's temperance. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Voluntary self-restraint. The definition that I've found the most helpful and the one that we'll be using mostly of this morning uh, is that temperance is the mastery of appetites. And as we compare the temperate wise man to the fool, the important word in that definition is going to be master of, not mastered by, our appetites. So, as we dive into temperance, it's also important to know that this virtue is all over the Proverbs. Now, I would argue that nearly every statement that is made about the wise man or the righteous man could be fleshed out into a lesson on temperance. Temperance is a mechanic of wise acting. It's involved in every wise action. So what I'd like to do today is go through that passage that we just read, Proverbs 12, 1 through 16, and I'd like to show uh, five ways that the wise man is characterized as a master of his appetites. We'll look at five appetites or passions or impulses and see how the wise man is shown as temperate. The word temperance is not in that passage. Uh, there's not really anything about self-control either, but it, it is there in the way that the wise man is described. So let's go ahead and dive into that. If you have your Bibles, please open to uh, Proverbs chapter 12. So we'll, we'll start at verse 1, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around all over this passage. So if it's hard to follow, I apologize. Uh, we're going to look at the five different appetites in an order that's not the order that they're in the passage. So we're going to be jumping around all over the place. So verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That word for discipline at the beginning of that passage is translated as reproof or rebuke or correction in other places in the Bible. So it's not talking discipline uh, like physical punishment. It's talking about correction, being told that he's wrong. The wise man loves to be told that he's wrong so that he can seek new understanding, so that he can have new wisdom and new knowledge. And how, so how does temperance play into that? This, this one we'll dive deeper into to kind of set the pattern for the rest of them. How does temperance play in to, lo- to, uh, to loving being corrected? Most people that think they're intelligent are very confident in their own opinions. Right? You know this. You know these people. And so temperance uh, helps the wise man to control his appetite of pride. He has this urge to be prideful in his intellect. Temperance gives him moderation in that so that he's able to hear wise correction, hear counsel from someone else, and be able to accept it in a humble manner, understand that he may be wrong, comprehend new knowledge, and reach a further understanding, a further wisdom. So this, this will be an important pattern. This will play out through all of the different appetites that we're going to talk about. Let's, let's jump down to verse 4. So verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So again, not, nothing about temperance here, but if you've ever lived in a close relationship with someone, you know that there are a lot of things that you have to control in order to maintain peace or especially bring honor. The wise woman is an honorable wife, and you can't live or work in that close of a partnership without controlling pride, being humble, being a servant. Verse 9, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. The wise man here is again described as humble and lowly, even though he has reason to have actual status. He has a servant, he has wealth, he could be prideful, but he voluntarily restrains himself. Verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We see again here that the wise man is able to accept someone else's opinion the same thing that we saw in verse 1. We see humility yet again. So the first thing we're looking at is that the wise man, the temperate man, has a mastery of his pride. Let's keep moving. Number two. So one is pride. Number two, let's read uh, verse 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Here we see that the wise man is careful with his words. He doesn't deceive like the wicked man. He's selective in his speech. And then again, let's read verse 13. Uh, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. So selective speech is a line in the sand between the wise person and the foolish person. Speech matters. And depending on your situation, this could, this could mean a mastery of any number of appetites. Why, why do we lie? Maybe to maintain a reputation, to uh, hide a failure. Uh, maybe it's a white lie and you're trying to maintain the peace. Why do we speak out of impulse? Are we driving our car, a little bit of traffic, dropping four-letter words at work? Getting angry at our kids. Why do we speak out of impulse? Why do we lie? There's so many different emotions and underlying motives that could cause us to speak foolishness. And so the wise man, if he's able to control his tongue, is exercising control over pride, anger, comfort, guilt, ambition, selfishness. There's any number of things that the wise man could be in control of just because he's able to control his speech. It takes a considerable amount of temperance to control your tongue. So, number one, the wise man is, control, is in control of his pride. Number two, the wise man can practice moderation or restraint with his speech. Number three, we're going to read verses uh, 10 and 16, and this is all about anger, which is a big one for a lot of people. Number 10, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. And then 16, the vexation of a fool is known at once. Vexation is frustration or anger. But the prudent ignores an insult. The wise man is not cruel as a vent for his frustration. Neither does he get heated over petty insults. The wise man has a mastery of his anger, is able to control it and use it properly. Proverbs speaks to anger in a lot of places. Another good one is Proverbs twenty nine eleven. Uh, that says that the wise man is quietly able to hold back his spirit. Quiet control of anger. The wise man knows the time and the place for anger and how to use it well. So one, pride. Two, the tongue. Three, anger. Let's keep moving. Number four. Let's look at verse 11 and then 27. So 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Verse 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The wise man throughout Proverbs is constantly shown as diligent and hardworking. The wise man wakes up early and goes to bed late. He earns his morning. However you want to say it, the wise man is a diligent worker. This takes restraint from comfort restraint from sleeping in restraint from netflix and meaningless facebook scrolling restraint from impulses of entertainment and comfort it takes work it also takes restraint from worthless pursuits is what you're working on meaningful you could be working really hard and enjoying yourself in it you could be disciplined in it even but is it is it worthwhile Is it a valuable, meaningful pursuit? The wise man doesn't waste his time on things that are pointless. That takes restraint from having fun sometimes. Restraint from entertainment, again, comfort. The things that we want to do, sometimes we have to do the things that are hard, obviously. So where does your time go? This culture is so enchanted with screens. We use them all the time. Do you control your desire for comfort? Is entertainment ruling your life? So one, the wise man's in control of his pride. Two, his tongue. Three, his anger. Four, we'll use entertainment. The wise man is a hard worker. He's diligent. He's in control of his desire for entertainment. For the last one, we're going to actually look at a different chapter Uh, This is another important one to discuss, but it's not really explicit in this chapter. So turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 5. Now this whole chapter is a warning from the father to the son about the foolishness of sexual sin, and in particular, adultery. It gets a whole chapter from the father to the son in the warning. So this is fairly important. This is a longer section. We're going to read verse 1 through 9. And it's not on the screen. So if you have a Bible, please flip over so, verse one: My son, be attentive to my wisdom; incline your ears to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death; her, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your fa- keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Sexual sin is particularly damaging and yet so prevalent. The father here acknowledges the lure of the woman and then follows it up with warning after warning about the punishment that follows her. The father even goes as far as to say in verse 23 of that chapter that the man who gives himself to the woman will die because of his lack of discipline. This is a fairly serious subject, and the father wants to make sure that he emphasizes this to his son. It's obvious to see here that the wise man in uh, abstaining from sexual sin is showing a mastery over lust and pleasure, comfort, uh, but there's more here than that. There is a rewarding sense of power and control, or even status, in many sexual relationships. There's a rewarding sense of power. So the wise man is avoiding sexual sin. He's controlling uh, his appetite for pleasure He's controlling his lust, but he's also controlling uh, achievement, power, status. There's a lot of temperance involved in that. So we could go on and on. There's, there's, like I said, every statement about the wise man could be shown to be a statement of what is he holding back on, what is he restraining in order to act that way. So, temperance provides the control of impulses, emotions, and underlying motives that can easily prevent us from acting wisely. Even if we know what the wise action would be, temperance is the control that we have to not shoot ourselves in the foot or to commit self sabotage in our pursuits. That's why temperance is beautiful, because it brings with it that freedom. Self-control isn't often viewed as freedom. Most of the time, it's viewed as punishment or hard work. It's not sexy. It doesn't have all of the allure of being uh, impulsive or being spontaneous. But discipline is the most important ingredient to true freedom. If you have discipline or temperance, you're able to control your impulses and motives and achieve a goal. If you want to buy a house, you have to have the financial discipline day-to-day to control impulsive spending, to maybe restrain on things that you would normally buy in order to save up for that purchase. If you want to run a marathon, you have to have the discipline to get up every morning and go running. If you want to be successful in your career, maybe you want a promotion, you need to have the daily discipline to perform in your job, even when your motives fail. Even when you don't feel driven that day, you want to call in sick, you have to have the discipline to overrule that desire for a greater purpose. I, don't, I really wish that I was this way. I wish that I executed like that in everything. There are so many times in my life that I could think of where I've shot myself in the foot. I right? left college and took on a whole bunch of more debt. College debt, and then graduated, bought some things that I couldn't afford, took on more debt, that's shooting yourself in the foot. That's the impulsive foolishness that temperance frees you from. So as we hold up the mirror of the wise man of Proverbs, as we look at this caricature, we need to take the time to examine ourselves. Do you want to be like this, first and foremost? Do you see the freedom that this discipline provides? Do you see this virtue in your life today? Are you making moves to be more disciplined? There's probably areas in your life where you have mastery over one thing, but on the other side of your life you're being ruled by an impulse. So we need to understand which appetites do we have a good grasp on and which ones are we letting rule our lives. But we don't want to just look at the example of the wise man. Like I said, the father gives two examples, the wise and the fool. So now let's turn to the fool. The fool is uh, the most general of the characters in Proverbs. So of the, the other characters that we talked about, you can actually bucket some of the other ones into the fool. The fool is kind of like an overarching umbrella. You could put the sluggard, the scoffer, and the wicked all into this bucket of foolish, where the simpleton, um, he, he's kind of in his own area. So obviously, if you can break the fool up into all these subcategories, there must be a lot to say in the Proverbs about fools, and that's completely true. So we're going to walk through a handful of passages, we're going to go through a lot of scripture, and none of it is on the slides, Uh, and you're probably not going to be able to keep up, so just listen closely. Uh, It'd be a lot of page turning if you tried to follow me. Uh, But we're going to look at seven characteristics of a fool, and we're going to look at 14 passages. We're going to move through them fairly quickly. But as we're working through what the fool is, our goal should be to compare the fool with the temperate. See the fool's impulsive nature. See how the fool is out of control and understand and examine ourselves to see where do we line up with the fool and where do we line up with the wise man. So number one, the fool talks a lot. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, But only in expressing his opinion. You've been in conversations with these people, right? The people that uh, the whole time you're talking, they're just thinking about what they want to say. These are people that you hate having a disagreement with because they're not trying to understand you, they're not trying to seek uh, insight into their opinion. They just want you to make sure that you either agree with them or that you fully understand them. They're not seeking understanding for other people. And this comes from that pride, right? Where the wise man's in control of his pride, the fool is driven by it. Especially if they have a pride in their intelligence or a pride in being right, they don't think they need any input from someone else. I'm correct. Why would I need someone else's opinion? They should just listen to me. Right? That's foolish understanding. Proverbs 15.2 says that the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool pours out folly. The fool speaks quantity over quality. Constantly just blabbering on and on about something the fool knows nothing about. Spreading rumors. These are the gossips. These are people that are Facebook foolish, sharing everything that they hear constantly, seeing an article that affirms what they already believe and throwing it out there without even reading it. These are people that don't investigate what they spread, they just spread it because they like it. Right? This is foolish behavior. So question yourself, when the rumor mill is going on at work, how involved do you get? Do you spread information that you haven't confirmed, that you don't know for a fact is true? Maybe it comes from an unreliable source. When you speak, are you commending knowledge or are you just rambling on? These are important questions to understand whether or not we talk a lot like the fool. So number one, the fool talks a lot. Number two, the fool rejects discipline and rebuke. Proverbs 15.5 says that the fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds report is prudent. The fool ignores rebuke. Where the wise man treasures it and loves correction, the fool ignores it because they think that they're right. They don't need input from anybody else. They may seek out guidance, but most of the time it's because they want to hear someone agree with them. They may ask your opinion, but they're just waiting for you to say, yeah, I agree with you. Or yes, that's a good decision. They might just be trying to keep up appearances of seeking counsel. They don't actually make decisions based off of the advice that they get. Proverbs 17.10 says that a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into the fool. So deeper than a hundred blows. The fool needs to learn the hard way. Words and advice don't help. So if you only learn the hard way, you might be a fool. Are you coachable? Can you be taught? Do you listen and understand when people speak into your life? When you're an M C and someone challenges you or someone points out a pattern in your life that needs to be corrected, do you actually listen? Or do you just nod your head? hope the conversation moves along. We don't want to be foolish here. We need the advice from other people. So one, the fool talks a lot. Two, the fool rejects discipline and rebuke. Three, the fool runs recklessly towards sin. Proverbs 10.23 says that doing wrong is like a joke to the fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. The fool is careless about the direction of their life. It's the the YOLO mentality. Live by impulse. Run after pleasure. Get what you can while you're here. They don't understand repentance. They don't understand sacrifice. Someone taking sin seriously to them is ludicrous. So repentance is a joke. Taking sin seriously is a joke. Number four, the fool wastes money. This one's going to hurt. Proverbs seventeen sixteen. Why should a fool have money in his hands to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Proverbs twenty one twenty says, That precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now this is not talking specifically about poor people. It's talking about poor management. The fool has money, he has income, but he doesn't know how to act wisely with it. Impulsive behavior is the norm. Spending is common. Saving is rare. There's very little planning for future expenses. There's no budget. There's no cash flow. He's not following Dave Ramsey. He lives above his means. He racks up debt and is, in general, in slavery to money. Emotionally, month-to-month living How much control does money have over your life? Or maybe you're in control of money in the other way. Greed is driving you. Do you give to the church? Are you saving for retirement? You know, we just went through the Money Matters series just a few months ago. And one of the things that I took away most from that is that we are often blind to our sin around money. Because we live in a culture that handles money so poorly, we can be blind to how badly we handle it. So, it's important to ask these questions. It's important to have other people speak into your life as well. Other people might see what you don't. So, we need to be asking ourselves these questions regularly. Number five, the fool stirs up conflict. Proverbs 18, 6 through 7 says that a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare. To his soul. Now, this one's pretty easy to understand. Foolish people—they talk smack all the time. They are insulting everyone around them, uh, constantly poking fun, pushing buttons, trying to get a reaction. My, uh, my, MC. Our mission is the Davenport Family Resources. Uh, once a month, we go to Leslie House, which is. Um, just one step down from juvie. Most of the time, these kids have been removed from their parents, locked in this facility. Some of them are foster kids that are too dangerous to be in the foster system. And we go there once a month, and we just play basketball with the guys. We get to know them. We try to build a relationship, try to uh, influence them in whatever way we can. And last month, there was a new kid there, this little scrawny kid. Looked like he was 10, but he was a, a sophomore in high school. And he was just a complete fool in this area. He was constantly trying to assert his dominance with all of these other guys these troubled kids there's 15 of them there and he's making fun of all of them he's calling them out saying what are you going to do about it poking buttons trying to get a reaction and eventually he would say the wrong thing to the wrong person and get smacked we'd break up the fight try to solve the problem and then it would happen again like 15 minutes later and again and again and this guy was losing all of these fights he was taking a beating constantly because of his words now, we may not be that extreme, right? We may be not, might probably not stir up fistfights constantly, but how often do we say something to specifically get a reaction? Where we know the right buttons to push to irritate this person just enough, to push the line just a little bit. We stir up emotion on purpose all the time. And number six, connects to number five pretty well. The, the foolish person has a short fuse. So they stir up conflict and they themselves have a short fuse. They're looking for a fight. Proverbs twelve sixteen says that vexation of a fool is known at once, but their prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs twenty nine eleven says that a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Those verses should be familiar to us because the short fuse is in direct contradiction to the temper man. Where the temperate man has control over his anger, the fool is driven by it. He has no control where the wise man uses it properly. Number seven, the fool is convinced that he's right. This also ties into the not receiving rebuke, not wanting correction. Proverbs 12.15 says that the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Our definition of wisdom is uh, uniquely God-centered, right? Wisdom comes from God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. So our definition of foolish is also very God-centered. The fool is a fool because he has a prideful self-assurance. He thinks he knows what wisdom is. He thinks he knows what's right. The fool rejects a need for God because of his foolish self-dependence. He knows what's right and wrong. He doesn't need Any other input? Where in your life are you ignoring the advice of Scripture? Where do you know better than the Bible, than your community, the people that speak into your life? Now, when we see these characteristics, I'll I'll go through them again really quickly. The fool talks a lot, the fool rejects discipline. He runs recklessly towards sin, wastes money, stirs up conflict, has a short temper, is convinced that he's right. When we see those characteristics, we need to hold them up as a mirror again to analyze ourselves, to analyze the people around us. Where do you see these characteristics in your own life? Like I said before, this is an idealized portion or idealized portrait. It's a caricature. So no one's actually like this. There aren't very many people out there that are uh, foolish in all of these ways. The world isn't that black and white. But the reason that we build out this character is so that we can recognize it in smaller ways. We shouldn't look at this list and say, okay, I'm good. I only really struggle with two of those seven. I'm not a fool. I'm, I must be wise. Right? That's not the way that we want to handle this. We want to look at these traits as red flags. And as wise Christians, we want to understand where the danger is and turn the other direction. So where are you being foolish? Take a step back, analyze your life, think through those things. We're all somewhere on the gradient between the wise and the foolish. None of us have arrived at perfect wisdom. Do you you have the humility to see that in yourself? Can you admit to yourself where you're being foolish? Can you admit that you need to be repentant? Because you know, foolishness isn't just folly, it's, it's sinful. It's rejecting the wisdom of God. It's acting in a way that is contrary to the nature of this world, contrary to the nature of God. I'm sure there's some people here this morning that at some stage in their life, or maybe right now, your life is in a complete mess because of your own foolishness. We, we often have to deal with the repercussions of foolish behavior in our lives. Maybe you've racked up thousands of dollars in credit card debt maybe you're constantly in control, maybe you're constantly controlled by your money. Maybe your anger and your short temper has put you at odds with your family, it's lost your relationships, maybe you've lost jobs because of your lack of discipline. We can often feel that we have been a fool, we are a fool and we will continue to be a fool. It's it's sometimes hard to see a path towards the wise person. We may think that, you know, I have a temper. I'm always going to have a temper that I'm an impulsive person. I'm intuitive, it means I'm impulsive. Or maybe I'm emotional. I make emotional decisions rationally, quickly, all the time. We can very easily bucket ourselves into one of those and think that there's no hope for change. So what is the hope for the fool? Do we just try harder? Just be more disciplined? I hear this a lot from people. Have an accountability group. Let somebody else in. Seek advice from an older person or someone that's really killing it in that area. Try to figure out how they do it. All of those are just different versions of try to be better, right? And that's, that's not hope. It, it doesn't work. Those may be good advice, but there needs to be a dra- dramatic heart change before that can happen. So I want to read Psalm 107, uh, verse 17 through 19, because I think it captures the hope for the fool better than I can. Uh, So, this would be one that you want to turn to. Psalm 107, verses 17 through 19. I'll go ahead and start reading. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. That's the repercussions of our foolishness that we deal with. We suffer that affliction. 18. They loathed any kind of food, they drew near to the gates of death. They're foolish. They don't know what's good for themselves. 19. Then they, the foolish, cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them, and he delivered them from their destruction. You see, the hope for the fool is not to try harder. The hope for the fool is to look to Christ, who on the cross displayed perfect temperance. Voluntary self restraint is pictured perfectly on the cross of Christ. He held back a righteous appetite for justice, good behavior, not sinful behavior. He he held back righteous justice. He left pleasure and comfort of heaven to come down to earth and to take up your cross, daily rejecting his divine right as creator God. He dealt with hunger and thirst and tired and being sick, things that he he didn't have to deal with. He voluntarily took on for you and me. And when we look to Christ and we see his perfect temperance, the Holy Spirit works in us to change us bit by bit into the character of Christ. And we really need to do that because Jesus came to save the foolish. Whether or not you're able to admit it and see it in your own life, we're all fools. Romans 1.22 tells us that all humanity thought that they were wise, but rejected God for worthless idols and became foolish. These are the people that Jesus came to redeem, you and me, the fools that traded God for our impulse. We traded God away to gratify the desires of our flesh. And our only hope to grow in wisdom is to see that, to repent of it, and to look to Christ and his example on the cross and pray that God would change who we are. We need a radical heart change before we take any sort of practical step. What would our church look like if we, if we grew in temperance? if we rejected foolishness and we turned to wisdom? How would we change? This, this is an area that I, I'm really praying that God would grow our church in, specifically temperance, as we walk through this wisdom series. Because our mission as a church to uh, plant churches, make disciples, and renew the city, uh, the identities that Sacred City talks about, being a servant and a family, uh, a leader, a missionary, all of these large visions... That we have as a church, they cannot be achieved without temperance. Without wisdom, yes, but temperance specifically. We can't act that out without control of our passions, control of our appetites. So do you want to have a better MC? Do you want to have a family that is willing to be vulnerable, that corrects people humbly, that gives generously, you need to reject foolishness and turn to temperance. That takes control of pride and anger, control of power, all the things that we talked about. In order to be a good MC family member, you need to have that temperance. Do we want to reach our community? Do we want to plant churches in the quad cities? Then we need to have temperance. We need to be able to reject the passions of our flesh. We need to be able to turn away from self sabotage in ministry. You need to be able to control your longing for comfort, your fear of rejection in order to share the gospel. If you want to have a deeper relationship with God, you need to guard your time in the word, which takes temperance and entertainment. It takes rejecting lots of things in order to give that time its place. See, this is the difference between Christian and secular discipline. There's a lot of people that aren't Christians that will talk about self-mastery, setting goals and getting achievements. Uh, Jocko is probably the most prominent right now. Joe Rogan talks about this. Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about self-mastery. There's a lot of people out there from a secular worldview that are talking about this very virtue. So what makes this Christian? It's what you set, you set things aside, the difference is what do you then go after The secular mindset says that I control myself so that I can better myself. It's all about achieving your goal or accomplishing something great. But the Christian temperance is grounded in a love for Jesus Christ and his mission. That's the mindset that says I control my appetites so that I can ravenously chase after God. So that I can be compelled by the love of Christ, not my own passions. You see, I want our church to grow in temperance, not so that we can all be in great shape and go to the same CrossFit gym and get promotions at work. I don't know, those things may be good, but I want our church to grow in temperance so that we can be wholly dedicated to the mission of God in the Quad Cities. So as we come to the table this morning, we're reminded yet again of Christ's temperance shown for us on the cross. He restrained himself to the point of death on that cross for us. As we sang this morning. So, as we eat and drink this morning, let us look to his example and pray that God would change us into a temperate people. Let's pray. Father, we are a people that are far too prone to self sabotage. Our motives are broken, our passions are running wild. We're far more impulsive than we want to believe. Father, even still, you chose the church to glorify yourself. You bought us with the blood of Christ. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom, that you give us temperance, so that we can be a people wholeheartedly dedicated to your mission. Father, I pray all this in in Jesus' precious name. Amen.